Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to episode 125 of the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast. My name is Nick Hill, and I'm joined today and every Tuesday and Friday by none other than Daniel Foch, who is a real estate investor, broker, and a director of economic research at a company called Rare Real Estate. Dan, the show has been growing a lot recently. So, uh, you know, I wanted to take a quick second here and thank everyone, new listeners, our old faithful listeners, and even my mom who I don't think has missed an episode yet. Yeah, I mean, we just had our biggest week for downloads. It's it's really been amazing to watch the show grow. And it obviously just makes us want to keep doing it, keep putting out good content and work harder to deliver more value to the audience. Yeah, that's it. A couple little housekeeping things before we get into today's episode, which is a really good one, all about the essential guide to mortgages, your mortgage pre-approval, how to get a mortgage, all that good stuff. Final course pitch here today, literally, if you're listening to this today on Tuesday, the 19th, it is your last chance to join up. Um, the link is in the show notes. This is the first one, something like this that we've ever done. We're very excited. We've been working like crazy on it. Uh, so if you hear it, if you're listening this morning, join while well, you still can or, uh, or don't, and we'll see you on the next one. And it is your last chance to join because the first lesson live Literally webinar later today. of the course is later today. So it'll take place on the 19th. There will be subsequent cohorts. We'll run another one, probably I would say once a quarter because they're going to be a three month thing. And we might release some pre-recorded like short courses, maybe for Christmas as a Christmas present for you to give to your loved ones. But I don't think it'll ever be what it is right now, which is going to be a very tight knit group of people talking about real estate and, and really helping us to develop the course and learn exactly what the audience wants to hear from us so that we can teach them that in real time. One more housekeeping thing. And this, this, I, I feel like this is kind of why we saw the, that, that, um, record week on the show is we had our meetups on, Oct or on uh, September 12th. We had across the country, but we have another batch coming October the 10th, um, Vancouver hosted by Steve Soretsky and Monica Rao. I think it'll be at August Brewing. They had about uh, 15, 20 people show up. So nice, intimate one. Lots of good conversation about real estate investing. Calgary had a huge meetup at Greta and they're going to be repeating that. And it that was presented by Cash and Homes and Calvert Mick. And I think they had like 60 to 70 people. So thanks to all of you who showed up to that. Edmonton, Demir and Sean hosted one and they'll be doing another one on October 10th. Kitchener Waterloo, Zach DeJong. I think his was really good as well because eh? he called us both right after. Pretty fired up about it. Toronto, Nick, how was yours? Uh, yeah, yours truly hosted one. It was awesome. We had probably 40 plus people show up, some deals getting done, some connections being made. It was great. Are you going to be doing your next one at um, I will local be doing again? the next one at the same location. It seems to be... Uh, Pretty good spot for uh, for casual drinks. We've also got one in Barrie by show friend Patrick Cassette. Looking out, getting one started in Moncton. Also have one in Charlottetown. And then we're working on one maybe in St. John. So really trying to amp up the East Coast presence here. Charlottetown... Um is they're having one. It's an outlier. It's on the 24th, so it'll be next week. And the reason for that is we kind of merged with an existing group. So they'll be joining, they'll be catching up on our schedule in November. Um, they'll be joining us in their, on our November. So our goal is first, uh, sorry, second Tuesday of every month. Um, so you have October 10th and then November uh, 14th, I believe, will be the next meetups. Anyway, 
Um, let's get into today's content. So this is a great article put together by a friend of the show, Jordan K from Zolo. It was so good that we thought we would build an episode around it. So thanks to Jordan and our friends at Zolo. And actually, um, for those of you who know, I, I, I do quite a bit of content for Zolo and most of the content that I'm going to be doing with them throughout this year is going to be focused around mortgages as well, which is the focus of this topic. The reason being, and we talk about this a lot, the cost of a, of a mortgage is a huge, it's probably the deciding factor. I mean, yeah, you can focus on price a little bit, right? You can save yourself maybe 5%, 10%, but you're going to pay on an interest rate right now, like 25% of the value of a home over the first mortgage term. And so your mortgage matters a lot more than it ever has, at least in our lifetime, because rates have been so low for yeah. the entire time. Yeah, mortgage totally. matters more from a quantifiable perspective than it ever has. So let's start with the home buying Home buying in movies is usually portrayed in the following scenarios. Young home buyers find a house that they love. They then contact a real estate agent and make an offer. And the offer is miraculously accepted with no negotiations. And they begin their perfect little life as new homeowners. Yeah, we've all seen the HGTV homebuyer memes as well. And man, some of them are so funny. I had to pull a few, Dan, you're going to get a kick out of this. The joke's always like they have some obscure or completely made up job, but somehow have a huge budget. You know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, yeah. For okay. Sure. Well, here we go. I pulled a few. So pictured a happy, smiling couple with the caption, I walk iguanas and my wife sells umbrella insurance from home and our budget is 2.1 million. <laughs> pictured uh, uh, the same happy couple smiling. This is a good one of my favorite meme formats, actually. So uh, with the caption reading, I sharpen colored pencils and my wife works one hour a month catching butterflies. Our budget is 1.8 million. Okay, and this is getting silly, so we'll just do one more and then we'll cut it there. But we could go on all day with these. Picture it again, that same smiling, happy couple that obviously has an unlimited budget. I'm a professional Guess Who player. My wife restores used napkins part-time. Our budget is $1.5 million. <laughs> These are, are so dumb, but they're so good. And I, I mean, I think it is really funny because it just shows like how to touch a lot of this, like that, the HGTV thing is like when you watch a lot of those shows especially because they're designed for a u.s audience where like you know housing affordability is a lot more of a little thing yeah. yeah but yeah it is it is really funny and just very out of touch now before any of those you know so-called professionals go out and buy their dream home on television for our viewing pleasure the first step for them or for anyone for that matter is a pre-approval and that's where they establish the budget that's mentioned in their in their meme Maybe they also commit mortgage fraud based on their approval levels because they're, uh, yeah, I mean. A lot of money in restoring napkins these days. Selling them on Etsy or whatever. (laughs) I heard the big six banks don't like Etsy income though, so. (laughs) How do you get pre-approved for a mortgage? So what do you do? What do you need to know? Yeah, well, the reality of home buying in Canada is far from the picture-perfect story that we're used to seeing on those shows. One of the most significant deviations is the order in which the Canadians will approach the actual home buying process. Instead of finding a home you love, contacting a real estate agent and making an offer, the first step that you should take in your home search is to get a mortgage pre-approval. And in Canada, this is so important because if you don't have the mortgage, you don't know how much you can afford. It's it's just a credit-based market, so you need to establish that budget. At first glance, getting pre-approved for a mortgage might seem like a step you would take in later in the process, like when you have a house tied up in quotes. But in, in reality, mortgage pre-approval can give you information that you need in that home search. And also... The 
the way that our real estate market functions in a lot of cases is you don't get a chance to have a conditional period, right? Being conditional on financing. And so you need, or you needed, I think it's changing a little bit. Mm. We're getting back to seeing more and more conditional offers. Banks are scrutinizing a little bit more and wanting to appraise even during conditional periods. I think the last two deals that you and I did together, we we, we did a, a deal, you know, helped by a, a student rental out in Peterborough for a, a listener on the show. Bank wanted to appraise, right? It got Last extended. Yeah. And even on a listing that I was doing, same thing, broker and the bank would not waive financing. Actually, three past three deals I've done yeah. all had appraisals during the con- conditional financing period. And as a, as a real estate professional, I'd rather see that take place prior to the conditional period being waived, especially in a market that's changing so quickly. I'd rather that happen than five days before closing the bank's like, oh, house isn't worth what you paid for it. So you're not closing. You like to shake things up at the 11th hour. Yeah. Quite annoying. So a mortgage pre-approval is is a pretty simple process, right? It's literally just the, you sit down with a lender, which could be a bank, a credit union, or a mortgage broker. Much better idea in my personal opinion. <laughs> Do you know any good mortgage brokers? There's very few out there. Um, I might know a couple. Reach you should out to me directly. brand yourself as the mortgage bro, Kurt. I am not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so your lender or your mortgage bro, Kerr, will uh, ask for some basic information like how much you earn, the size of your down payment, and of course, any outstanding debts you may have. And with these financial details, plus your credit score, which they'll eventually have to pull, they can determine three things. The first being how much you can afford to borrow. So how much money are you gonna get from one of those lenders or financial institutions? The interest rate that they can offer you. So what is the interest rate tied to that amount that you can borrow? And then the third is your monthly payment. So how much are you paying to have that amount of money every month? So the the important question when you go to get an, a pre-approval is getting an understanding for how much time that buys you with that rate, rate hold, let's call it. So most mortgage pre-approvals lock in your interest rate for between 60 and 130 days. This is a really interesting and important distinction right now. 95% of people are buying with fixed rate mortgages in today's market down from, I think it was the, it was like 61% variable when the variable was super, we've, we've seen turned out to be an economic disaster. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, Dan, we've talked we were talking about this well over a year ago in some of the early episodes here where we were noticing that massive shift from the five-year fix, which traditionally in Canada has been the go-to mortgage for literally decades and decades. And then this random little thing happened. I don't know if you remember a few years ago, something happened and that changed everybody. And all of a sudden Canadians were addicted to variable rates for a number of reasons, such as being able to purchase larger homes with a variable mortgage. That's now changed that variable rates have skyrocketed. And guess what? We're back to the good old faithful five-year fixed. Yeah. And I think that this is an important distinction because, you know, we said a while ago that going into the fix because it's less of a volatile rate would pull some of that volatility out of the market and it has. But what you see is, and and you know, the Bank of Canada just did a rate pause and everybody wants to imagine that it's going to be the same scenario that we saw in the spring market of 2023, which was the hottest spring market that we've ever seen on record, by the way, fat, largest acceleration in price growth from January uh, until May. And now we've seen prices fall from May, May, June, July, August consistently. This varies on a market to market basis, by the way, like I get people blowing up my DMs like, oh, the market's not going down. I'm like, well, it's probably not in your area, right? But like, I can't, I'm not going to sit here and read stats for every single market. But the reason that this happened is because it's very distinct 
difference between the fixed rate and the variable rate. Variable rate is controlled by the Bank of Canada, their overnight rate, which controls banks prime. The big six is banks prime, and then they lend out on a function of prime. So prime plus 1% or prime minus 90 bips, which is probably more common. Whereas the fixed rate is a function of the government of Canada's five-year bond yield. And the five-year bond yield in January was in the three low threes, and it, and it dropped twice. In January, it dropped, and then in March, it dropped. And so that period of time gave out a bunch of really good rate holds. In January, you could lock in a fixed rate hold for in the fours, right? Low fours, 4.25, mm-hmm. 4.5% fixed rate. by today's standards, a great rate. And then what happened was during that same period, you saw the fixed rate climb. And what happened was now all of a sudden, if you, run, if you let your rate hold expire, you now have to get a new rate hold and it would have been at a 5% and, or in the fives. And so now you have a sense of urgency because your interest rate is going to increase by 25%. Your interest cost is going to increase by 25% and your uh, borrowing power will be reduced accordingly if you don't burn through that rate hold fast. Mm-hmm. And so that put a lot of urgency into the market. We don't have that <laughs> in present day because the Canada five-year bond yield is trading closer to 4%. And you'll actually note that during the the Bank of Canada's announcement, it spiked. It shot up from like 3.75 to 3.95, which says the market's pricing in a higher for longer scenario, maybe not more hikes, but that that they might have to keep the rate high for a while because inflation's kind of ramping back up. Anyway, I digress, but I think it's important to note that the rate, the fixed rate holds and the fixed rate is in control of the market right now. The Bank of Canada can't, only 5% of people are buying with a variable rate. Actually, Mm -hmm. we just got a client who's buying in Alberta from Ontario. The first time I've heard in years that somebody's buying Fired up to buy buy the variable. And he's buying with the variable, yeah. Yeah. And so the point here is that because only 5% of the market's buying with a variable rate, uh, the fixed rate controls the market. And the fixed rate right now is is high and not going down. So the Bank of Canada can really only control the sell side by putting more and more pressure on households who already have a variable rate. They They can only control the supply side, not the demand side. Really big mess economically. Anyway, during the time that you have a rate hold, you'll be guaranteed access to the interest rate that your lender or mortgage broker quoted. That means if interest rates rise during that time, you still have access to the lower rate. Conversely, if interest rates drop, you can renegotiate. Now, again, rate holds, just a little piece here. Rate holds are very beneficial for some. However, they're usually quoted a couple bips above, and that's just to bake in a little bit of uh, insurance and security for, for that lender. Now, Let's talk about mortgage pre-approvals and the potential effect on your credit score. Now we'll touch on this and we'll talk about a soft check and a hard check and we'll get more into credit scores later on. So if you're a big credit score fan, don't worry, we've got more for you. (laughs) Um, So some lenders will request permission to check your credit score to help them evaluate your pre-approval application. Listen, I'm a mortgage agent. I have never ever checked someone's credit score without literally getting them to sign off on me being able to do that. So if you have a lending institution or mortgage agent or broker that has out there, you know, cowboy checking people's credit, uh, they need to be spoken to because that's not the way you do things. So whether or not this check will hurt your credit score depends on two things. I'm sorry, it depends on if it's one of two things, a soft check or a hard check. Now, a soft check is also known as a soft pull and it doesn't hurt your credit score. These checks are typically used for background checks or when you check your credit yourself. So if you're on any of those apps, Credit Karma, BorrowWell or whatever, again, that's a soft check that doesn't impact your credit score. The one negative, I guess, would be is that 
you don't know for sure it may not be as updated but you know if you're just doing it to kind of see where you're at personally it'll give you a good enough soft pull to to do uh to do what you need to do now the other one dan is the hard check tell us about that yeah, so a hard check, on the other hand, is what lenders do when they're actually qualifying you for a loan. And because it's uh, related to new debt acquisition, it will lower your credit score by a few points. Whether or not your lender will do a hard check or a soft check depends on their internal policies. And you know, if you do this too much, it's it's uh, something called credit seeking, and uh, that'll actually reduce your credit score even more. Yeah, and so, yeah. and so, this is where actually this could be one of the primary advantages um, to working with a broker rather than brokering for yourself. If you go to five banks on your own and they each pull your credit doesn't always look good. If you go to a broker and they pull your credit once and present it to those five banks individually with the same report, um, then if, you know, if you're one of those people who's focused, I guess some of the banks would use a diff, like require a different uh, credit scoring company, mm-hmm. uh, Equifax versus TransUnion, and some do it internally. But again, um, rather than having your credit pulled by every lender, um, having your credit pulled once and presented to all of those lenders, it could be one of the, the advantages if you're yeah. one of those credit score folks um, for using a, a broker. Now, there's a bunch of ways to do it. I mean, you can also um, wait until you have a live deal, do a soft pull so everyone is, you know, everyone knows what's happening and wait till you actually have a live deal to submit. And then at that point in the deal flow, they will, you you will have to have a hard check. So you can avoid a hard check if you're getting a deal done. You can avoid hard checks if you're out there shopping around and, and looking for a property or looking for um, a mortgage rate. So just be very weary. You, there's no need to go and mess your credit up throughout this process. Yeah. And um, yeah, assuming you're able to negotiate the liberty of, um, of getting a, um, you know, finance like time to get your financing done, mm-hmm, which right, right. is becoming more common in the market right now. Um, so TD Bank, for example, states on their website that their mortgage pre-approval process will have no impact on your credit score. Um, if you aren't sure whether your lender or mortgage broker will perform a soft check or a hard check, just ask them. Yeah, communication is is completely key throughout this entire process. I cannot stress that enough. This is why personally, you know, obviously I, I may be a little bit biased, but this is why I am uh this is why I'm I'm privy to using mortgage agents and, and brokers versus banks because we're human beings where we we are directly working with you to achieve something whereas a bank you might be dealing with a few different people you might be dealing with one one underwriter today and the next one the next day they're not going to work on the weekends they're not going to pick up the phone after five or six o'clock so in in a in a very complicated world you need someone on your side that can explain to you every step of the way things like this and that's why we're putting out this episode today is to to try to educate everyone a little more so let's talk about what a mortgage pre-approval isn't so of course while a mortgage pre-approval is a significant first step in your home buying process it is not a guarantee that you'll even qualify for mortgage with that lender or any lender You'll be guaranteed a full mortgage approval once you submit your mortgage application, which happens after you have accepted, uh, after you have an, an accepted offer on a purchase. Until then, the final approval, considered your mortgage pre-approval, is really just 
helpful information. And trust me, we've seen things fall apart at the very end by no fault of our own. Some random thing comes out, paperwork that didn't line up, banking statements that didn't line up. And again, this is why communication with your broker or your lender is vital throughout the process to avoid any of those last minute mistakes. Yeah, I think the other thing is, and a lot of people don't know this, but when you buy a property, the lawyer, who your lawyer as a buyer also represents your lender. So they, mm. and they, so they have to represent your lender because the lender is exposed to that property. And so the lender, the bank or whoever it is, um, underwrites you. They underwrite your creditworthiness, your ability to service the mortgage, but they also underwrite the property because they want to know whether or not they're taking risk on maybe, is this property going to bankrupt my buyer, right? Like, because it needs too much work or is this property going to burn down because it has an uncertified wood stove or is this property going to flood because it's in a floodplain? And they look at all of those things. And so um, just like they want to give you a mortgage pre-approval, they also want to approve the property. That's usually why the financing condition uh, existed before and why appraisals happened. Uh, appraiser would come in, they do a report on the property, the bank would look at the report on the property and they would say, yeah, okay, we, we're comfortable with Nick and we're comfortable with the property that he's buying now. Let's go. Um, so then the question becomes, why would you even get a mortgage pre-approval if you can't really guarantee that you're going to get the mortgage on, you know, once you're, once you actually need uh, the bank to look at that property? Mm-hmm. And, and the answer is that it provides a key benefit of understanding how much you can afford establishing your budget or your maximum affordability and what the monthly payments will be on that affordability. And for investors, this is obviously incredibly important because we know how much we can we can pay, but we also know what the monthly payment is, which from which we engineer what our cash flow scenario is, whether or not the property will be cash positive, what our debt service coverage ratios will be. This is really where you reverse engineer how good the investment is, how viable the investment is. And also by gaming the rate, um, you can stress test it and say, how sensitive am I to an increase um, from 2% on renewal or 2.5% to 5%, which is a question that I think a lot of uh, quote unquote investors, speculators never, never asked themselves. might not have asked themselves over the past little bit. Yeah. I mean, that number you're referring to, Dan, is is arguably one of the most important numbers while running your numbers. You can't really run your numbers without it. And and Dan, as a realtor on, on that side of things, let me ask you this. How many times have you felt comfortable taking buyers out, spending your time taking buyers out that have no pre-approval, that haven't even journeyed down that, that uh, you know, that haven't taken a look at that step whatsoever? I made this Instagram. It was really stupid, but I basically said, um, you know, going out house hunting without getting a pre-approval or having any information about what you're capable of getting for financing and going out house hunting is the equivalent of eating soup with a fork. Now, it's just kind of a waste of time. You might make a little bit of progress here and there, but get all those noodles and veggies, but this you're not is, getting this the broth. Is, this is, yeah, this is a broth based soup. Okay. So, um, anyway, uh, it is. I actually like the analogy because the broth that. is the best part, man. Okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. So you're not I getting the broth. Yeah, okay. You, you got to drink it at that point. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can't, you can't drink it in, in this analogy, but anyways. Right? So, yeah. So if you find your monthly payments um, associated with the maximum affordability, we'll squeeze your budget, make you house poor. If you're a, uh, owner occupier, um, or if they won't work for your numbers as an investor, then you got to lower either the purchase price or you got to find better rents, um, Mm -hmm. or you can change the, the interest rate. So there's only really three levers that you can change. Budget needs to change, rate needs to change, or income on the property needs to change in order to make that investment more viable based on your pre-approval amount. 
Yeah, now once you have that maximum purchase price in your pre-approval, you can now start to determine what type of home or what type of investment you can afford and of course, in what neighborhood. You can compare your pre-approval amount to comps in your desired area. So stuff that's listed right now, stuff that's sold recently. So for example, if the prices are higher than your maximum affordability, well, probably time to drive to the qualifier, drive to the quantify somewhere. So again, it's it's a very useful piece of information that you need um, kind of foundational in the process of, of buying whatever it is you're buying. Yeah. So then the question becomes, where do I go get a mortgage pre-approval? You can apply for a mortgage pre-approval directly from a lender, like a bank or a credit union. If you work with a bank and prefer to keep all of your business in-house, and this is often easy. Most people typically will land with the bank that they do their banking with. Applying directly with your lender is an easy and quick process, typically because they already have most of your income. They don't need to verify it. They can go look at your bank statements on your own. They probably already know your credit score. They probably already know all the other um, debt that you have. So really all you have to do is get them like a T4. Um, The downside of applying for mortgage pre-approval through the bank or credit union is that you'll only receive that lender's best rate and maybe not the best rate on the market. Um, And honestly, maybe not even the best rate because they don't really have to offer you uh, the best rate because you're already a customer. Um, And so they don't really need to entice you per se to come in to be a customer. Yeah, you're already there with your your checkings account. So another source of mortgage pre-approvals is, of course, a mortgage broker. Mortgage brokers are not affiliated with banks or credit unions, and their role is to find you the best and lowest possible interest rate that fits what you're trying to do on the market. So when you use a mortgage broker, you'll compete a similar application. Your mortgage broker will shop around your application to lenders, to several different lenders, and find you the best possible product. There is no fee with using a mortgage broker, people. Let me make this very clear. We work for free. They're paid by the lender, I guess. You, no, you completely read free. I, I just enjoy it so much. <laughs> it's chari- charitable. Um, no, we are paid by the lender. That's how it works. So. You definitely read the elevator pitch portion of your mortgage broker <laughs> course. Eh? That's all I. That's all I did. So, um, so Dan, pros and cons of of a mortgage mortgage broker mortgage agent. Yeah. So. Just, I always use a mortgage broker. Um, oh, you have to. It's, yeah, it's me. Yeah, because they just like hound me. <laughs> um, but the the big thing is that um, they have access to all the major Canadian lenders. Um, and one application allows you to compare with multiple lenders. And in most cases, there's no fee. It would be worth noting that um, on private loans, there's typically... A Rolls lot of fee. fee. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, we covered that in an episode, right? Yeah. We're like, there's one, two, three, five different fees on this private right. loan. And so, um, yeah, on, on that side, and B, some Bs, you see a, a broker fee or a lender fee. Um, but, um, but yeah, so I think that that's like one of the big advantages. You don't see it. You don't like, so it's not like you, you basically get somebody to work on the file for you that actually represents your interest. They, they have an interest in representing you, a fiduciary duty and finding a loan in your best interest as a customer. Um, you're a client of theirs rather than a customer of theirs, like a bank where a bank's just trying to get a bank literally only wants you to borrow their money. Cause if you don't, if you go to another bank, like if you are an RBC customer and you don't borrow their money and you go next door to TD, cause they're always in the same plaza, then they don't get your business and they don't win. So they literally only want you to get their loan. And that, that can sometimes create opportunities. You can play them off each other, whatever, mm-hmm. broker it for yourself and say, oh, TD was going to give me this and 
and so they can get as good as they can within RBC's parameters, as an example, in the RBC versus TD example, but they can't go full scope like a broker can. The cons of using a mortgage broker is they have less brand recognition than banks or credit unions, and so, I mean, it's just a little bit... RBC, TD, Nick Hill... NH, the broker. No, I think it is... It's it makes sense because like especially over the last couple of years, a lot of people got in a lot of bad financial positions because of a lot of bad financial advice. And honestly, some of that bad financial advice happened at a bank. Um, some of the products that they were giving out and and whatever. But um, now that that's the bank's problem, <laughs> whereas mm-hmm. it's very much less the broker's problem when the broker puts you in a loan. And now it's probably that lender's problem, not the broker. The broker is going to be like, oh, potato buyer beware, yeah. you know, whatever it is, caveat emptor. And, and mortgage brokers, sometimes diff, more difficult to find, found through word of mouth or direct sales or through a realtor or whatever it is. Likely Instagram. Yeah, TikTok. some cool Instagram posts. <laughs> so how do you get pre-approved for a mortgage? Uh, when applying for a mortgage pre-approval, you'll need to provide your fi- financial details, which Nick is going to go through. So here's what you would need to provide. Yeah, two recent pay stubs, a letter of employment, two years of T4s, Proof of your down payment, including 90 days of bank statements for the account where the down payment has been held. If that down payment is a gift, proof certifying that it is a gift. Uh, and then for, of course, for self-employed individuals, provide two years of complete tax returns and two years of NOAs, notice of assessments, and a complete accounting of all of your debts financial obligation financial obligations and that includes things like child or spousal support so really a full you know full financial picture of who you are didn't osfi also say they were going to like certify that gifts weren't coming from helocs on other properties now like your parents can't i, I, I don't know if that ever was an act but i know that they were, they were talking, talking about, about that. yeah they um, talk a lot sometimes yeah, yeah so gifts should be cash not debt by the way um you don't want to like cross collateralize your entire family's real estate portfolio. Because yeah, then you basically don't really own anything. At the end of yeah. The um, questions to ask about your mortgage pre approval uh, to be well informed during the pre approval process. Ask these questions. This is a great report, by, by the mm-hmm. way. Um, how long does it take? How long does it last? Uh, hold periods typically are between 30 and 160 days. I think like the average or normal, mo- most common would be 120. So four months. Um, what happens if rates drop? Most lenders will let you renegotiate and give you a pre-approval at the newer lower rate. Can my pre-approval be extended? The lender or mortgage broker may extend your rate hold if you haven't found the property that you're looking for during that hold period. Um, but you might just have to, they can either extend it or you might just get a new one at a new rate. Okay. So congrats. You've now gotten your mortgage pre-approval. Well, what does it contain? So once you've gone back and forth with your lender or your mortgage agent, broker, uh, they'll spend a few days doing their thing, securing your pre-approval. Then you'll receive a letter with the details and this will be some of the information that you will see. The name of the lender, your mortgage amount, the down payment amount, your mortgage interest rate, the monthly payment and the total purchase price. That letter will usually be on the lender's official letterhead. So whether it's an RBC, a TD, a First National, um, and a pre-approval letter assures the seller that you have a high probability of receiving full financing. So it is a piece of leverage if you're in any type of situation where you may need leverage to win over that property. Yeah. Um, 
things not to do between pre-approval and full, full qualification. This is fun. Yeah, this is funny. <laughs> it's just like you always hear that story. And man, right? I'm not, you know, I have answered these questions more than once. And I do love and respect the people that, that have reached out to me, you know, hey, like, I know we're closing in two weeks, but I, you know, I, I want to take the wife on vacation or I know we're closing in two weeks, but there's this new truck that I really want. And I'm like, man, <laughs> can please it wait? Do not do that. Do not do anything like that for at least two weeks. The funnier part is that it's like ridiculous because you can't buy a truck the day before closing. Actually, I have a funny story on this. So I had a bank make me sell my truck. Oh, yeah. And then they also, then they didn't give me the loan. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> two days before I closed on the house. Yeah. Um, yeah, I shouldn't mention them, although I want to, cause I'm very angry about that was this a nice truck. Yeah. I like that truck. Um, so I had to get rid of a truck to get it off of my books because the debt service on it was ruining the deal. And it was part of the, th- the discharge. Well, actually, first of all, it wasn't part of the, the statement. And then when we were going to close the deal, they're like, oh, we need proof of, uh, proof that the truck is paid out, uh, or so or paid out. And I was like, well, I'm not going to pay it out. Like, that's just not a good use of cash. It's got like a low rate on it or whatever. Um, so I just gave it back to the dealership and, uh, cause the trucks are, or were at a premium at that point. And, uh, anyway, so I didn't have a truck for three days. Was it three I days remember, prior to closing of this vehicle barely even or of this property? Now. Then they didn't even fund the deal, that bank. They literally didn't. They were like, no, we're still not going to do it. Um, and well, so can anyway, I get my truck back. So, yeah. <laughs> so anyways, and the worst part was that I went and started an account with them to pay, like to simplify the process. Well, they really got oh, you. Oh man, they, they did. really got you. They did. Um, <laughs> anyway, so. Okay. Three main things, Dan. What do you, what are things not to do? Don't change your job. Mm-hmm. Okay. Even if it's a better job, they underwrote you on your previous one. It'll get, just, it'll, it'll start your new up. job after. Yeah. And even like, I, I actually, I don't even know if I'm allowed to recommend that you do any of these changes after you get your mortgage, because technically your mortgage statement will say that you are supposed to keep everything status quo. Like you're not adding more debt, right? Like even after you take possession of the house, you shouldn't be changing a job. You shouldn't be taking on new debt. You shouldn't be lowering no, your credit score. Uh, of course, people go and, and live their lives as, as they do. But yes, it's... Uh it's funny. It's a bit. It's a bit of a gray area, I, I guess. So again, don't change your job, don't take on any new debt, and don't uh, lever up and buy a truck. Oh no, I guess that's that's new debt. <laughs> um, don't lower your credit score in in some other way. Like yeah, pay meet all of your debt service obligations. Like don't try not to miss payments on stuff, et cetera, et cetera, because that that will negatively impact your ability to close on the deal. And and this stuff, like, it sounds like really, really um, common sense. It would blow your mind how not common sense this is. Like, yeah, and and it's not even it's it's just innocent, naive. You know, hey, like, there's an opportunity. I think, you know, the house new house has a new new house has a big garage. Like, better get a truck to put in there. Don't do this stuff, guys. Anyways, we said we'd be talking more about credit score um, at the top of the show. So I want to talk about now improving your credit score because lowering your credit score will only hurt you no matter what part of the process you're at here. Improving your credit score will only help you. So Equifax and TransUnion are the two uh, credit bureaus here in Canada. Both of these companies maintain credit files for Canadian consumers and generate credit scores based off of that information. And a great place to monitor both of those is on Credit Karma and Borrowwell, by the way. So you can just go make an account on those two sites. 
Um, we should try and get them to sponsor the show. Actually, Not a bad after idea. that, um, Not a bad idea. you so you need a credit score of at least six fifty to qualify for a mortgage. Some banks you'll hear six eighty. That said, the higher your score, the better your rate. So typically, you know, if your score is better, then your interest rate is going to be lower. They reward you for being financially sensible. Three set strategies that will quickly improve your credit score. First, make your monthly payments diligently. Second, carry less than thirty percent of your limit on revolving tools like credit cards. So less than one third of your credit card balances should be, uh, or sh- your credit card limit should be a balance that you keep. And then finally, keep a mix of credit credit tools like credit cards, lines of credit, utility bills, and a car loan. Okay. So now let's look at some credit score information, Dan, just, just for fun. Yeah. Super fun credit scores. <laughs> yeah. Big, big credit score guys over here. So according to TransUnion, again, that's one of the two main credit reporting bureaus in Canada. The average Canadian credit score is around 650, but interestingly enough, Equifax has it closer to the 670 mark. So I, I feel like they they also score a little bit differently. Those two, they, I think you're right. They think they do, but nonetheless, you know, neither of those average scores are are great. So banks just basically want you to be above average to get a mortgage. Basically, yeah. Now, on the flip side of things, let's look at an 800 credit score, which is considered in the excellent category. Statistics show that roughly one out of every seven Canadians has a 800 credit score or more. So about 17%. And I guarantee you all those people own nice big old houses. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Um, Who knows? Who knows? Maybe we got some wealthy renters out there. Dan, let's go through the credit score ranges here as well. Just just as a reminder. Yeah. So an excellent credit score, 760 to 900 range. Very good is 725 to 759. Good is 660 to 724. Fair is 560 to 659. And then poor is 300 to 560. So by the sounds of it, you know, most Canadians are living in that fair to the lower end of good. That's where most Canadians' credit scores are. Now, Dan, we talk a lot about this on the show as well. You know, the barrier to entry for a lot of people in real estate is finances. How do I increase my income? Well, let's talk about that. So increasing your income will improve your mortgage affordability. Obviously, um, you know, lenders use two different ratios to determine how much of a mortgage you can afford. Dan, you had mentioned this earlier. The first is your GDS, your gross debt service, and that's a ratio. This ratio measures the percentage of your income needed to pay your monthly housing costs, including principal, interest, taxes, and heat. The maximum ratio is 32%. Increasing your income will shift that ratio and improve your affordability. So I'm gonna, I think I'm going to skip this part on um, household income by province. Actually, we can quickly rip through it, but... Um but it is important to note that like as an investor, one of the ways you can increase your income is by having cash flow pro- positive properties. They That's, will look at that income. Yeah. Um, and if you're a, you know, a professional investor, or you have an, a certain amount of units, then they'll look at a hundred percent of that income. Some banks, you know, for one or, or one unit, or if it's an, uh, a suite within an owner occupied dwelling, they'll only look at 50%. Um, but as you start getting into that portfolio building, they'll look at a hundred percent of it. And so this is why you want to have a cash flow positive investment portfolio, because it'll actually help you, um, scale because you're and qualify for more every basically every time you buy a, a unit and it's cash flow positive it increases the amount you can qualify for the next unit so quickly average uh, household income by province uh median household income in canada is six hundred and sixty 
or sorry, wow, that would be that would be, be huge. That'd be great. Sixty six thousand eight hundred. Yeah, and according to Stats Canada, the medium after tax, the highest medium household income is in Alberta at seventy seven thousand seven hundred, while the lowest is in New Brunswick at fifty six thousand. Now, Dan, let's go quickly one for one through the provinces and the medium household family income. So again, I'll start things off. Alberta seventy seven thousand seven hundred. Below that, Ontario seventy thousand. Saskatchewan, 67,000. British Columbia, 67,500. Manitoba, 63,000. Quebec, just shy of 60,000. Prince Edward Island, just shy of that 60,000 again. Newfoundland and Labrador, 59,300. Nova Scotia, 57,500. And New Brunswick, 56,900. And this is interesting because um, we're going to do an episode. Our next episode is actually going to be about um, people moving into provincial migration mm-hmm. and household affordability. And in a lot of cases, like, yeah, these incomes may range, but you know, Ontario is the second highest income, but they have very much the highest house prices. And so it's not honest. Yeah. And so <laughs> income doesn't always mean that you can afford a house in that area. So the, the second ratio used to determine affordability is your total debt service ratio or TDS. And so one of the ways that you can actually improve your ability to get more debt or increase bond power or get better rates or whatever it is, is um, by decreasing debt. So the ratio uses the same numbers, but adds debts like credit card interest, car payments, loan expenses, and your TDS ratio cannot exceed 40%. Paying off debt will reduce your ratio and improve your affordability. Now, Dan, I know we love talking about income and, and debt. So let's talk a little bit about debt here. Here are the average debt by age group in Canada. This is from 2019 from Stats Canada, the most recent study. Um, So if you are under 35, this is kind of wild. Under 35, the average debt is 69,500. It's a lot. 35 to 44, it's 105,100. Actually, RBC, did we do this recently on a a show? I don't think we did, but um, I'll, I'll... I'll put it in. I'll make a note to put it into one of the upcoming things. It's basically RBC did a report that shows how young people as a percentage of income. So this is just pure number, but as a percentage of income, millennials have the highest debt and it's, and they've seen the largest Mm -hmm. growth in debt since, uh, so 35 to 44 year olds, uh, have seen that, that age category have seen the low, the highest growth in debt since, uh, I think it was 2000, no, 1999 to present day. And the reason is purely because of houses. So literally just because, so and because you see very uh, very low growth in in debt in people under thirty five, um, and it's and so that would be your kind of Gen Zs, bus and bus and no cap and all that stuff, um, <laughs> and it's because they don't own houses, yeah, and because they have great uh, perms, yes, yes. <laughs> um, if you are forty five to fifty four, the average debt is one hundred thirty thousand dollars one hundred. And 55 to 64, 80,600. As you can see, people start to pay off debt and have higher household net worth as they get older. And if you are 65 and older, you have less than $50,000 worth of debt. Well done, grandma and grandpa. So the last way to get better at buying a property is increase your down payment. In Canada, you must have a down payment equaling at least 5% of your purchase price. So your mortgage affordability might be limited to the size of your savings. In this case, taking time to accumulate more funds will help. Taking time to accumulate. Why, why would you ever do that? There's an easy way to do Imagine it. Imagine like a gifted I mean, down payment. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Remember I mean, when we covered that one story yeah. and the average gifted down payment was like, like 200. 180 grand, I think. 180 from grand to yeah, 200. Yeah, 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 it was crazy. And there's 30% of buyers using gifted down payments, I think. Wow. Millennial, for 30% of millennial buyers. Mom, dad, if you're listening, still waiting. 
just lever up, get a HELOC, and <laughs> yeah, come on, give me a gift. It was that big gift. Um, okay, so let's close things out here. Do you really need a mortgage pre-approval? My answer is, yeah. This is super important information, whether you are an end user, an investor, or literally even just like property curious. Go and get this. It doesn't cost you anything. Reach out to me. There's literally a link in the show notes directly to our pre-approval link for G&H Mortgage That's what Group. this whole episode was about. Yeah, you just so come on. Up. There we you go. You said it the whole <laughs> thing. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, look, it, it provides you literally the numbers you need to figure out. No, to, it is a great idea. To make like, twice a year, I want to know what I can qualify exactly, for. Exactly. And look, without a hard pull, you can literally be doing this as much as you want. I've literally done soft pulls and redid the numbers for clients that we've been working with for the last year and a half. Dan, one last thing. Let's let's read this review and then and then let's get out of here. Sure. Uh, insightful and educative. Great word. That's mm. a Kanye word right there. <laughs> Podcast. I, that's like uh, pr- provocatively educational, Oof, educated. I like it. I enjoy listening to this podcast for my real estate updates and news. Both Dan and Nick do an amazing job explaining various concepts, tips, and tricks for the average listener. Thank you both. And thank you, ANJXX. We appreciate you. Is that your and, real name, uh, Anjix? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Thanks, Anjix. Five-star rating from Anjix. Leave us a review. That's why we read that. We want you to do it. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. The Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and it is not financial advice. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Center and a partner in the G&H Mortgage Group. License number 10317, agent license M21004037. Daniel Foch is a real estate broker licensed with Rare Real Estate, a member of the Canadian Real Estate Association, the Toronto Real Estate Board, and the Ontario Real Estate Association.